You're listening to Conversations at the Cohen Center, a space for intellectual engagement, interdisciplinary collaboration, and a vibrant graduate community at James Madison University. Welcome to Conversations at the Cohen Center. I'm Marina. And I'm Becca. And today we're sitting down with Jarrett Scheel, an assistant professor of music education at the Berklee College of Music in Boston, Massachusetts, and a fifth-year doctoral candidate at Teachers College, Columbia University. Jarrett has taught high school and collegiate-level music courses on everything from critical theory and art history to democracy and the City University of New York system. His research centers around teacher education and the hip-hop movement in music education, and he is one of the co-founders of the music resource website, www.hiphopmusiced.com, and leader of the social media dialogue around hashtag hip hop music ed. Welcome to the show, Jarrett. Hey. Let's jump right in. You're here at JNU as the College of Visual and Performing Arts Cultural Connections Artists in Residence. Um, make sure we got that right. Can you mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about that and maybe how you found your way here to JNU? Yeah, I could tell you a little bit about it. Um, I um, met uh, Jesse Rathkeberger. I think I pronounced it correctly. Um, uh, he's a, a professor in the music education here at uh, JMU, and uh, we've been many conferences together, and we share, I think, a lot of affinity groups, and also like a lot of ideas around popular music and cultural love and pedagogy and CRP and CRT. Uh, and he's a, uh, I think, for me, a really good colleague that we don't work together personally, but we like to work together in these shared spaces. And last year he spoke to me and asked me, would I come in here and and do a thing? And I said, yeah, boy, would I? And um, it it brought me here to Harrisonburg, Virginia, which I never thought I would ever be in. And I had known about JMU, but um, as I've been here with my family, we got got my two kids and the dog and my wife, um, it's a beautiful town. It's, the air smells wonderful. Um, I mean, there are peculiar things like the civil Confederate stuff that's around. But other than that, like, I like the campus and the students are awesome. Um, and that's how I came here. So I, I do work around that. And they thought I was interesting enough to bring in and talk to students and say crazy stuff. <laughs> so that's why I'm here. You're here for a whole week doing yeah. different things. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you've done so far and what you're finishing out the week with? Yeah, um, I I did a convocation yesterday, which was really great, and I talked about democratic practices of hip hop in in K through twelve classroom. I've sponsored talked about sponsored by the Cohen Center. Yeah, sponsored by the Cohen Center, which I'm really grateful for. Um, the first day, I gave kind of like a small talk to a room of maybe like thirty people, and it was about uh, social justice practices found within hip hop education, like how you can put those in your your classroom. And so I've been talking overarchingly about like what we can find with our interactions with hip-hop and how we can apply that to music education. Because sometimes people look at the hashtag and they think, like, I'm saying that there should be hip-hop music education and we should get rid of everything else. But all I'm really talking about and other people who found the the, um, the website with me and do the conversation online is we're asking to add another lens, uh, a more uh, more contemporary lens, and one that more students find more relevant Instead of throwing away Bach and Beethoven, we're just asking to add, like, J. Cole and Jay-Z, not to get rid of anybody. So I, I found it pretty cool. And so we've talked about that this week. And, and um, the I, uh, this week, other than this wonderful opportunity to be on this podcast, I've been speaking to a lot of student groups, which is 
really great because they're the leaders of the future. And so, what got you interested in studying music? Is there a specific artist or like an event that happened and you kind of look back on that and you're like, yes, that was when I knew that was it? Um, I grew up, my mom played a lot of music at home, so I think I would have to say she was the first instigator um, of that and me being into music. I think she probably wanted to be a musician, but it was a different time and she was a woman and a black woman, so she kind of got pigeonholed into doing science. But she was really great and she was a professor teacher, so I got into music teaching because of her. But I got into music uh, probably because of my high school band director. And I, I started music in ninth grade, so I was like 14, 15. And I took a beginning band class because it looked fun and I didn't want to take PE. Like I was like, uh, I think I'll do, I want to learn how to play piano. And there were no beginning piano courses because I was going to a performing arts high school. Mm-hmm. So it was a school, high school, and then this Tillich School of the Arts in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. But like there was a performing arts program and a science program, and I was already in the science program. And I wanted to take a beginning band class like to learn piano and there was none, but you could learn beginning band instruments like trumpet. So I, instead of my mom said, you can't play drums and you can't bring a tuba home. It's too big, but you could play any of these other instruments. And so I picked trumpet cause it looked cool. And I was like, and he taught me how to play that. And I talked to him every, like every week to, to this day. We talk, he's a very influential person. Not because he was a great musician. He was a great, he is a great musician, but he's just a very, good person and so they both kind of like forced me to think about music and learning and why we do those things together all the time I, I love it so that's those the two people the people who inspired me though was uh Whit Marcellus Jay Dilla Stevie Wonder Duke Ellington oh I gotta say this one Joni Mitchell and a host of other people it's too many people to name but like all those people were very influential in like my conception of like what do I want to do with my life and that kind of stuff. You've taught in a number of different places mm-hmm. uh, at both the high school and collegiate level. What kind of was your path of your education and your career? Like, what made you want to teach? <laughs> That's a good question. I'm going I'm to I'm Elizabeth Warren you. That's a good question. I got a plan for that. <laughs> um, well, I would say I hated school growing up really was not a very positive experience and it's taken me many years to kind of become okay with who I am as a learner because I think a lot of people come to those experiences and there's somebody who helps you shut off like they help facilitate that by many different ways and so I hated school a lot but I'm I'm an intelligent person and I had to make peace with that for most of my adult life. Like, but I'm like, I know I'm smart, but like, I keep feeling like people are telling me I'm not because I'm not doing X, Y, and Z because those things didn't find, I, they didn't resonate with me. And so I decided um, that as a music person, I was never going to teach. And my mom, who was a professor at a community college, was like, you should think about teaching. And I was like, that's for adults. <laughs> I'm only 22. I don't know about that. And so it took a long time, but like I came home to Fort Lauderdale after I graduated from college and undergrad, and I, I substitute taught for one year. And that was the hardest job I've ever had because it's like being a stand-up comedian because you have to go in every room is a different room, and you have to warm the crowd up and get them into it. And at the end, you're like, and all right, well, thank you. Applause. See you later. Bye-bye. And I fell in love with that. 
the the knowing because it was just like playing a set and improvising all the time, and that's part of what my two of my degrees are in jazz and you know jazz studies. And so as I went a little further, I was like, oh, you know, school sucks. Maybe if I become a teacher and be the teacher that I always wanted. So that was kind of like my circuitous path. And then like I got into teach high school teaching because I only thing I knew to do was be a high school band director because that's what I was trained to do. And then I was like, this is great, but I need more money. So I started teaching at a community college part time. And then I was like, man, I'm married and I'm great. I would like to like buy a house. And so I decided to go back and get another, um, well, to get a master's degree first at Northern Illinois and then to get another master's degree of EDM, a specialist degree at Columbia. And then I stayed on to get my PhD, my EDD, because I would like to get a full-time job. And then in the process of just doing menial, mundane things to be a, a human, I learned so much about like what I wanted to do professionally like what not to do and what to do. And so I was like, I want to be the teacher that I always wanted to be. And then I was like, I should help other people be free teachers so that I, cause I can't be everywhere. And so the only way I could do that is if I become an educator's educator. And so that's kind of where I ended up in all those experiences of all, whether it was in the Bronx teaching at a uh, charter school, Ooh, rough. Or if it, not because it was in the Bronx, but because it was a charter school and I, you know, um, and the principal in the community or whatever, but uh, whether it was at the uh, public schools or one of the places I love teaching was at the community college. Something really great about community colleges. And then even some of those places like NYU and Columbia and Berkeley, like they're great and they have their own vibe, but it's just something really refreshing about working with regular people who are trying to find out who they are, and they want to use music as part of the way to figure that out. And so that's how I came to where I'm at. That's a really cool path. <laughs> yeah, it's very secure. It's like, <laughs> you know, and I still perform and play all the time. So it's like I wanted to find a way where I could still be happy at doing my art, but also have time to do other things like help people and then make money doing it because that's kind of cool. So life is expensive. Life is expensive and it's real and kids cost money. Oh. This kind of segues into this next question. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience as a graduate student while also working at a professor at a different university while also still performing and putting on sets what we're saying is that you sound really busy you sound really busy uh, i am i am very busy i'm supposed to be like five places right now <laughs> and i had to cancel like four things it's oh, no. like no it's fine like one of the things i think oh well, i mean it is i am busy i think life is short and i think you should spend the time that you have doing the things that you find most important the thing I find most important is being with my family so they're here with me this week and they're always here and i support my wife she has a phd Dr. Shield, and so I try to support her, and so that means that I have to go hard every day. There, and the only day, the only time I really fail is when I don't try. So that's a real failure to me. Like I can fail at the activity, but if I didn't even attempt, I really failed. And so, like for me, it feels very weird. I feel like I'm always in five places. But there's this guy I really like. His name is W. B. Du Bois. I don't know if you either of you know him. <laughs> Heard of him? He wrote this book called uh, Souls of Black Folk. And in the book, he talks about this thing, the veil, right? You know, and I think people experience the veil in different ways. Like, I'm not a woman, so I don't know how that veil feels. But I know there's a veil there because it wouldn't be sexism. I don't know what the veil is for people, um, you know, who are LGBTQ and plus. But there's a veil there. I don't know what it feels like to be 
um, anybody else but me, but I know there's a veil, right? And mm-hmm. so that means I want to punch through the veil. And so the veil tells me I can't do certain things. And so I want to definitely do those things because F the veil. So I'm not one to just think I have to work within the system. That just means I have to do as many things as possible, especially when people tell you not to do it. I'm always interested in doing it because I, I think that usually you need to go with your gut and have intuition. And I, I think I like playing trumpet and I don't understand why I can't keep playing trumpet all my life. Can I make that decision? I want to make that decision. I don't think you should. Like, I think I should be able to get a PhD and I should be able to have a career. I don't have to wait 30 years when somebody dies to do it. I don't need to teach 30 years before I can then earn my way because it's not about meritocracy. It's about who wants to do the adventure. Those are the people who really should let do the thing because, like, they're ready as opposed to the person like, I don't know. You know, like, you should, you know, when the kids want to do a project and they're geeked about it, you should support 100% of that. And so I have to do that in my own life if I'm going to tell other people to live their dreams. So I'm trying to live all my dreams, buy the big house, eat the big steak, go on tons of trip after the coronavirus subsides. So you talked um, earlier about wanting to be the kind of teacher that you didn't have or that you wanted to have Mm -hmm. when you were a student. What kind of teacher is that? What do you hope your students leave your classroom with? Ooh, that's a really great question. I don't have a plan for that. However, I think if I had to think about it, critically reflect very quickly. When students leave my care, I want them to feel empowered to walk out 100% or as much as they can of their life in confidence. Even if they don't know, be okay with not knowing and then to critically think about it. And I want them to be a better version of themselves. So that means I'm trying to help them. I want to help them pull all their walls down, not mine. So in order to do that, I have to do the work on my own before I ask them to do the work. And so... I want them to leave there feeling more whole. I want them to leave there being empowered, more empowered, because they might have maybe already have felt empowered. I want them to leave, and this is something very mundane, I want them to leave knowing that they can have a black male teacher. Most people at most universities in this country or in high schools, or any K through 12 have had like almost zero to no black teach, male teachers. I can tell you what my first one was. It was seventh grade English. And, and for you to pick it out yeah. that clearly yeah. says a message. Not that you're bad or anybody else, but that the system is set up for only certain people to be in certain positions. And so mm-hmm. part of it is just like just me and me around them so that I'm kind of like passively doing race issues. I'm also passively trying to be a good guy so that other people know that men can be a certain way. Not just black men, but men. Like, all men aren't jerks. We're all not pedophiles and, you know, ra- you know that kind of stuff. So I want them to leave with a clear identity, of a, a view of who I am and what I represent, and also know who they are and what they represent before they go out into the world. And also to do really dope stuff. Dope stuff means different things. So, like, it doesn't just mean be famous. That's not, that's only a product. The process is doing dope stuff. The product's cool. Cars, houses, big steak, 
trips after the coronavirus, great. But the whole thing about the process is, like, doing dope stuff means, like, I'm not afraid to, like, go do that. And I think a lot of people need to be empowered to do that kind of stuff. Me search. What's the most recent dope thing you've done? Oh, okay. So I'm reporting now. All right. So <laughs> this is a good segue. Um, I am performing with a lot of different artists. One, I just started my own podcast. Nice. Called Freedom Beats, the podcast. I've only done one episode, so I'm totally not anywhere near the length of the breadth of your show. But like in that, I'm like just talking about like stuff that's on my mind that I don't think other people talk about. And then I play a lot of shows with people. So like I work with an artist named Cliff Notes. And we're uh, opening up for the Red Hot Chili Peppers for the Boston Calling, which is a show coming up in a couple months. So if you're free, come and show it. The day before, the the, sh- the headliner is Rage Against the Machine. And I think the day before that, it's like R.E.M. So it's R.E.M. And then, like, and then get this. Killer Mike's going to be there with LP. with Run the Jewels the same day. So we're on the same lineup. So that's, like, awesome. And then I'm, I'm doing work with different people. Like, I produce help produce a show called uh, Mexican Moms Cook. So it's like highlighting uh, the foods of different groups that never get... So typically in that show, if we're doing Mexican food, it's always somebody that's not Mexican cooking the food and we're bringing people directly into the kitchen with these moms talking about the cultural context of the food and like where you would buy the food and the whole experience instead of letting an outsider tell a story. Mm-hmm. And so those are some of the things I'm doing right now. I'm writing books with a couple of people. So those are some things I'm doing and just being a real, I'm trying to be the best dad I can be. That's the best project I think I'm doing right now. I have two little kids, so. The Cohen Center sponsored one of your talks earlier this week titled The Democratic Practice of Hip-Hop Culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you give us a little refresher on that topic? Sure. Um, what I was talking about was the idea of what democracy is and what what it's meant to be as opposed to what our perception of what everything is. So democracy is supposed to be a ground up and not a top down way of governance mm-hmm. and a way of all responsibly taking our right, inalienable right to vote and to voice our opinion. And one of the things that hip hop does well is open up a space for stories and narratives that people either don't want to listen to can't connect with because their reality is different um, or just the story is so opposed to their existence like they just never and I, I, I like that because I like when the baby I don't know if you know who the baby is right, puts on a song and people go I can't connect with that and I asked them why and I was like well that's a story that exists in the world that's a voter they're voting and every vote doesn't mean that you have to, like, elect somebody. It's not about electing. It's about, like, just giving toward the discourse that happens. So I think the great thing about hip-hop is it has a lot of democratic practices. One of them is, like, keep it real. And people think what I mean, keep it real, is to mean, like, real ghetto or be real rude or ignorant. But real, real but keeping it real means be authentic and have integrity which means you have to live life with honesty because that's the definition of those two words, integrity and, and authenticity at the heart of each one of those words because words matter. is It's honesty, so that means you have to be real to yourself, so that means you have to do research. So that means that those people, before they put those words together with those beats, had to look deep within themselves and figure out who they were and like what this means. So like that's a lot of like existential, ontological 
philosophical meandering they have to do. So, like, I honor those people, even if they say something I don't agree with. It's not about agreeance. It's about having people be able to voice their opinion. And so I spoke openly about that, and a couple of them are like, change your hood, rep your hood. These are like tenets, because oftentimes when people think about hip-hop, they only think about the products and not the process. Hip-hop is a cultural movement. It's not beats. It's not breakdancing. It's not graffiti. It's not beatboxing. It's not b-boying. It's all of that, but those are just products. The whole ethos and mythos of that is like to be rebellious, to be uh, revelatory, to speak up and to be heard and to contribute, which are all things under the umbrella of kind of democracy and democratic process and engagement and participation. So I spoke about that and I talked about uh, telling people if you want to engage in hip hop as a teacher, because I'm speaking to teachers. Know this. This is the most salient point I could share with you from the PowerPoint. And this is the one everybody got chills from. You're here to teach music. If you're teaching hip-hop, you're here to teach music, not race. Don't equate. To do hip-hop is to not enact blackness. That's the biggest takeaway I want people to walk away with. Hip-hop comes out of, partially out of, um, the story of being marginalized and being a brown person and being a minority in New York. But that was so many different people. It wasn't just brown people. It was Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, probably some Jewish people. Because remember, the Bronx is a polyglot neighborhood. Before white flight, before the Cross Bronx Freeway came through, all those people were living together in harmony. And then gang violence happened because the economy and social economics of New York was falling apart. It wasn't because these swath of horrible people were just horrible. New York was suffering, right? So they were already getting, and it was always supposed to be a alternative to violence in all those things, not a product of violence. People forget that. So when you're doing hip hop, you don't need to be black. You just need to be honest with yourself and honor those people out of that community that helped create this movement. Honor them. You can, like, I honor Beethoven all the time, but I've never thought I need to be white to do Beethoven. So if whiteness is the default, then I want you to know that like, well, one, let's not make that the default. And two, be open enough to know that like you could be a white woman from Harrisonburg, Virginia and do hip hop with your kids. And to be honest, so that means you got to do me, me search and listen to music and pick up a lens. And so those are some of the thoughts I left them with the other day. So I'm thinking of rock, which is a different genre, clearly. Um, but for well, can I clarify that? Sure, go ahead. So there's the hip hop movement, but rap is just like one of the one of the actions within that. Like, and and this is my personal opinion. Whoever's listening, hip hop is this overriding culture. It's a movement, and then people use terms like hip hop music versus rap music to denote one being lower quality versus one being higher quality. And I don't agree with that. So all of it's hip hop. Even the stuff that you don't want to call hip-hop. If the person says it's hip-hop, that's what it is. Rap, however, is this action that MCs do. But people have often used it to denote, and this is what I'll say sonically, hip-hop is more boom-bap, where the vocal is higher than the track. Rap is more heavy uh, track with the voice subdued to that. So usually anything that's gimmicky has a hook, and maybe the lyrics aren't as deep, and I'm doing air quotes here, right? It's not as conscious as usually uh, as rap. But I will argue 
Well, what is Outkast? Because they're pretty conscious and the beats are booming and the tracks are hot and you can't deny that. So is that rap or is that hip hop? So I just want to throw that out there. So, I mean, like, I think 103,000 is the GOAT. Personally, you know. No, thank you for clarifying. That helps. Um, So my question was for non-black people who enter that scene, hip hop Mm -hmm. or rap, whatever they want to classify themselves as, I've read sort of people's opinions about how they're coming into a tradition that they don't necessarily have the roots for, or Mm -hmm. maybe they come in and they write a rap and they put it to music and it's produced and it works and people listen to it, but it doesn't come with like the background of hip hop. They're not sitting there thinking of the the aspects that you mentioned. They're not coming from a neighborhood where there's all this history and thinking of white flight and thinking of a, a truly multicultural experience. They just mm. want to, it's just a style of music for them. So how do you feel, is that still considered part of the tradition? Is that a legitimate thing? Or is it something that people need to be more maybe self-aware of before they decide to step into that space? The latter. Okay. <laughs> so I would say one of the things, I would say be true to yourself, but also um, be true to yourself. Don't come, if you're really trying to engage in hip hop, then number one, you need to do some research. Number two, you need to do some me-search and then find out if the music's really about a future-forward view for people who have been marginalized, regardless of why they're being marginalized. Because it's not just about being... Like, hip-hop's not about being black. That's the funny thing about it. It was some brown people that got together and was like, I feel marginalized, and therefore I want an alternative because that was what it was. Gang activity had happened, and now gangs, the the movie The Warriors, that really happened. And that was when hip-hop broke off because gangs decided they didn't want to kill each other anymore on their own and decided, I have to have an alternative. So they started partying together, and out of that party culture and alternative comes hip-hop culture, which always is a movement, right? All these, right? So I would say people who are engaged in that just need to find where they're being marginalized. And that's okay. You can write happy raps. It's not like you can't be happy and be a rapper. There's tons of that. I mean, look at Will Smith. But even he said, parents just don't understand. He didn't write rap about being a a drug dealer or a killer or a gang member. He wrote about Freddy Krueger coming in, being afraid of monster movies, and he wrote about his parents buying him really hokey clothes. And it's still rap. And he won the first Grammy, right? And so you can't say Will Smith's not hip hop. He is hip hop. I mean, like he's one of the right, one of the founding members, you know, definitely within the eighties of like what that was for the commercial success of the whole thing. And so I would tell people just to do real good research on their own. Like, where are you feeling marginalized? Tell that story and you'll be an authentic to that. And people will know because, like, if you've grown up in a middle class household, there's something you're struggling with. You don't have to talk about being poor and eating whatever. You don't have to talk about, like, not having money if you've had it. But there's something. There's a young woman somewhere in the middle of this country that's feeling marginalized for reasons that she shouldn't or whoever. And they should tell that story. And if you tell that, people will go, that's real. And either they like it or they don't, which is totally hip-hop. And part of hip-hop should say you shouldn't care if they like it or not because you're just here to tell a story. And it will resonate with the people who it resonates with because it's real for them. And they they know because they can see it. And they can hear it. And when you say it, yeah. So I would say just do some research because I didn't grow up hard. So if I was doing that's why I like Kanye. 
I don't agree with his political stances. I think he's a genius musically, but when he came in, he brought in the backpack middle class kid, and then people saw hip hop different because they were like, "Yo, all black rappers are ex drug dealers." I'm like, "Yeah, all black people aren't drug dealers. They, everybody's not been in a gang. Every right, every, and every every person who's white, thank you, Eminem, is not rich. Yeah, that's what I love about M." Because and they and those people have problems too with addiction and identity and bring that in. He's never rapped about being a drug dealer or a gang member. He's like, I'm a poor white kid that grew up in Detroit, and I'm cool with black people because white and black people can be cool. And I put together D12, and it's not fabricated; it's real. And so that's the great thing I love about hip hop. It looks all different kinds of ways. Look, Lil Nas X. He's openly he was wearing a, a pink outfit. With a hat, and then Nas was on stage with him another night, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is great!" Because it shows the dichotomy and all the different spectrum, panoramic view of what that is, and it's okay to be different and be okay with each other. You don't have to be gay, LGBTQ, and and to do something with Lil Nas X. You could be straight, and you could be from the hood of Queensbridge, and he could be from wherever, and you could be on stage doing the thing, and then you could say, "Thank you for honoring me with your name being Lil Nas." Nobody had ever done that. Um, but that's that's uh, what I think about that. Yeah, I mean, like, just be real to yourself. Come have something to say that's about you. And then also acknowledging that, like, you stand on the foundation that people who struggle to get their message out. So, like, use the platform for something meaningful. And it doesn't mean you have to be the deepest person. Just say something real and people, it will resonate with somebody. You know, and don't appropriate. Don't come in and be somebody else. Mm -hmm. Don't be a character. You know, Marshall has many characters. He's Eminem. He's Marshall Mathers, who he really is, right? Slim Shady, who's another persona. But all those are parts of his personality. So he's never being somebody he's not. He's just showing you different parts of who he is. Last question. Yeah. What is a song or an album or an artist that you have had on repeat recently? Oh, so over the last, because I have to say long term, I can't because that's weird. Because like I'm in a car a lot, so sometimes I have to play the same record like every time I get in the car because I just want to get real deep into it. People I've been listening to the, over the last year that have changed my like sonic landscape. Uh, you know who's been really resonating with me? Frank Ocean. There's a song he wrote, he does called Solo. And it was very profound to me because, like, it it's one of those things, like, he has a line in it where he talks about, like, a bull in a matador dueling in the sky. And my wife had never really, like, listened to it. And I told her, like, what my interpretation of that meant. And I was like, man, people are struggling with all this all the time. And people put identities on you. And you struggle to, like, be who you are fully. And I was like, he's saying, like, there's a fight over him outside of himself, Right. People putting, I mean, you know, it's like a religious or spiritual fight. It's a physical identity people play. And I was like, it's so deep. And so, like, I've been listening to his albums a lot lately. That last one he did. Um, I've also been listening to Cardi B. I like Cardi B. And I have, I'm not ashamed to say it. I think she's super dope. Do I agree? Do I, Have I lived that life? No, I've not been a mom. Or I've not been an ex-stripper. I'm not married to Amigos, Quavo. So I'm not any of the things she is. I'm not from the Bronx. I'm not none of that. 
I don't have sharp fingernails or like, you know, I'm not. But it's something about like how she delivers the rap every time. It's so real. And she's not rapping about stuff she doesn't know. So whether she writes the rap or not, I think she embodies something of being real and being honest and being free. I've been listening to a lot of Herbie Hancock, Robert Glasper, Keon Harold, Esperanza Spalding. Oh, you're going to laugh at this one. Taylor Swift. Oh, Lord. Uh, okay. Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. No, I'm just saying people won't expect it. And I think some of the people, like I have on repeat, like I have a playlist right now. Oh, I've been listening to a lot of Rhapsody. So if you don't know, she's super dope, female MC. And those are some of the people. And I listen because I'm a music teacher. I have to listen to a lot of like old music, like Brahms, Beethoven, Bart, all that stuff. But yeah, those are the people I've been listening to on repeat in my car. Kind of selfishly. Oh, and also, because he recently passed away, he was one of my heroes, Roy Hargrove. So he was really an inspiration to me a lot. Now, if I could just like take one minute and say this. Roy Hargrove was a killing trumpet player. He also was somebody who was on the forefront of like him and Russell Gunn and a couple other people with merging hip-hop and jazz in very organic ways and not just... I'll just make a tune or I'll rework this. I'll rework a jazz tune to be whatever. And so I've been listening to a lot of his music because he lived in both worlds and he didn't straddle the fence. He lived in them. So like he had very definitive thoughts about what hip hop was and what jazz was. And he lived in those worlds and he collaborated with a lot of, a lot of people like, you know, Common. He collaborated with a lot of people like, I don't know, Herbie Hancock on different things. And so he inspired me to like say that it's not like you have to pick one. It would be whatever is creatively in you and you should do it. Do you do whatever you do. So that's it. Those are the people. Thank you so much for your answers and thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for letting me be here with you. You both are wonderful people. and This is a great show. Thank you for letting me be here. Thank you. We had so much fun. Um, And thank you to our listeners for joining us for this episode of Conversations at the Cohen Center. Thank you for listening to Conversations at the Cohen Center. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at JMU Cohen Center. If you'd like to get in touch, email us at cohencenter at jmu.edu. Our intro and outro music come from Phase 3 by Zylo Zico. You can find out more about them at freemusicarchive.org.